it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Hurt at Sports Radio. Crossover, right, goes up, got the shot blocked, got it back, throws it to oh! Ward. Jumper at the buzzer for the win! It's good! LSU <laughs> defeats Kentucky on a last second put up shot by Tyrell Ward. <laughs> Kicking off hour number two here on Herd at Sports Radio, AM 590 ESPN Omaha, ESPN Tri-Cities. We are efforting our friend Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation. Talk Did we ever hoops. decide if that was a thing? Efforting? Yeah. I didn't decide anything. It's just a word I say. <laughs> I have no idea. You know what else I say, though, is using your seatbelt saves lives and prevents injuries, but only if it is properly worn. Make it click this message from the NDOT Highway Safety Office. Um, we <laughs> he said, I don't care if you throw it to him as a running back. That's what wide receivers That's are for. Throw it to a wide receiver. Yeah. <laughs> throw it to a wide receiver. That might be the best thing he said outside of the bad Bo Jackson. Too. Yeah, I don't know. Listen, I you want to talk about guys that are overrated, and I know there's a bunch Ooh. of people. I'm fine with it. There's a bunch of people that are kind of come from my head here. It'll be Shane. And Bo Jackson's overrated. He was one of the freakiest athletes of all time, not denying that. But his production isn't there. Mm. I'm with you. you we'll, we'll get there. What we got? <laughs> but Ricky's there. Shane's the one you're going to have to fight with. I, I'll fight Shane. That's fine. <laughs> I take Bo Jackson any day that ends in Of wide. course, Raider fan. Over who? Everybody. Over nah. everybody? Not. Like on the planet. You're taking every, you're taking Bo Jackson over. We got you. <laughs> you sit over there and think about what you've done for a second. We're going to talk to we're gonna talk Ricky O'Donnell. Maybe I'm just saying nope, that because nope, he's a Raider. Nope. Yeah, you are just saying that because he's a Raider. Oh, Lord. I don't hear you riding for Marcus Allen like that. We're going to talk to our guy Ricky O'Donnell here from SB Nation. Talk a little hoops. Hopefully he's not talking as crazy as Shane is over here. Ricky, how are you this morning? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you guys? Oh, good, good We're morning. doing all right. We're just trying to keep our head above water here with these. <laughs> got some crazy takes happening over here, Ricky. Um, I have to uh, – let's start with uh, – let's start with uh, – you know, I want to start with Creighton. They had obviously the big win over UConn on Tuesday night. And really, 
I, up to that point, UConn had kind of been the only team that I trusted in terms of being good on a night-in, night-out basis. As Dan Hurley says, they ran into a buzzsaw at Creighton. How do you process that in a year where, you know, Purdue loses to Ohio State, a, not a very good Ohio State team, after uh, Chris Holtman gets fired? I mean, is this just a year where you don't really trust anybody? Yeah, I think it's a lot of that. I also think it's a credit to Creighton, which just has a really tough team to defend, even if they haven't been super consistent the entire season. Yeah. The thing that jumped off the floor watching that game is the movement shooting of Creighton, particularly of Stephen Ashworth, really presented like a new uh, way of beating UConn that you don't see a lot of teams be able to do. Some of these UConn guards with pretty stellar defensive reputations like Stephen Castle, uh, they just had a hard time tracking the shooters around multiple screens and uh, credit Creighton for knocking down the shots. So I do think part of it is like a lot of these teams now are older than they were when I was talking to you guys five, six years ago because of the COVID year. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of, you know, the NIL and the rules of transferring. So, you know, the way that the way you build teams in this sport is a little different. You got super seniors all over the place now. And I do think it's leveled the field uh, a tad. And really, it's just made team fit more important. And, uh, you know, that Creighton team, for example, it does seem like all the pieces fit together pretty well. They might not have, like, what you would think of as a true point guard this year, but they have size, they have shooting, they have a rim protector. These are the elements of basketball that you typically need. And uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of factors for why it's been a level playing field this year, but you still need a basketball team that can fit together. Let me go to a conference that the Jays actually uh, surprisingly had a little trouble with, maybe surprisingly early on, but now as you watch it play out. We got into this conference strength talk, Ricky, the last couple of days on the show, and the Mountain West keeps creeping up. When you, when you look at the Mountain West and, and its conference strength, uh, even a team like UNLV, and I know they just hammered a, a bad Air Force team last night late, but – are you a believer in the Mountain West uh, in their conference strength based on the metrics? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the Mountain West, they have some really interesting talent in that league. It's tough for me to say if I really believe, like, they're going to have multiple teams going deep runs. But, man, like, it seems like the most talented the conference has been from a player perspective in a few years. Like Isaiah Stevens has been one of the best guards in the country for Colorado State the whole year. There's not many players in America who could blend scoring and passing as well as he has, so he's been really good. Uh, obviously, San Diego State went to the title game last year. They maybe aren't the same like juggernaut they were a year ago, but they're still a really solid team, so much experience. Ladee has been one Jayden of the Jaden Ladee is tough. <laughs> he really is, yeah. He's been phenomenal. He's still got Lamont Butler back. And then I've loved these New Mexico guards too, the entire season. I think that they're really exciting, just being able to attack you off the dribble with Donovan Dent, with House, with Mashburn Jr. So uh, Toppin is a great freshman for them, too, who's like breaking all of the uh, all-in-one metrics. So I really like the Mountain West. It's tough for me to sit here and say, like, you know, they're going to send multiple teams to the second weekend. I'm not sure. I'm interested in what you guys think on that, but certainly it's been a really fun conference to watch this year. So I think the consensus was maybe there's a little... Um it's not even recency bias. It may be regional bias. I think Bravi probably landed at putting the Big East ahead of the Mountain West and the ACC. So probably, I think, third. Third or fourth. Third or fourth. Yeah. If, if I, 
but you but he, I think he we liked the Big East as much as the Big Ten. Would you make that argument? Sure. Yeah, I think that you know those two teams are neck and neck on the Ken Palm, or those two conferences are neck and neck on the Ken Palm rankings right now. So you could probably go either way. But to me, like you know, coming into that Creighton game, I thought UConn was the most complete team in the country. Uh, especially after the way they hammered Marquette. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, the Big East just has a lot of talent up and down. Even if you look at like what Kim English is doing his first year in Providence, where Devin Carter has really popped into being one of the best guards in America. Uh, after the Hopkins injury, that's still been a really good team. So I think the depth of the Big East maybe puts them a little bit ahead of the Big Ten, but... Uh, yeah, I think that those two conferences are pretty close in quality this the, year. The coaching prowess in the Big East is kind of silly, um, especially with the Holloways and the English. Like, the, the young guns kind of holding their own just adds to the depth. Let me ask you about a team that, on, on good nights, they show you flashes of, oh, my goodness, like I could really see the fighting Illini make a run. And I know – Coaching gets a little bit of a ding from the national pundits with Illinois. They they wet the bed last night against Penn State. But when you look at Illinois, what are they missing? Because on paper within this conference, they seem like they should be right there. Yeah, I think it's a really good team. Uh, it's an interesting team because they don't have a natural point guard. When you watch them, it feels like, Marcus Domas, who's about 6'6", 6'7", he's initiating the offense a lot. Terrence Shannon, uh, now that he's back on the floor, he'll try to attack in transition with, uh, you know, sort of early offense opportunities. They don't have, like, that traditional floor general. Man, I go back to a couple years ago when they had Brandon Pajemski and wouldn't play him. And last year, it was the same problem. They didn't have a point guard the whole year. They brought in Sky Clark, uh, you know, Clark leaves the team in the middle of the season, and they were missing the point guard last year. They're kind of missing it this year, but it does feel like with uh, Domask, they do have like another option. Some of the other transfers um, to to like set the offense up in the half court. What's interesting about them is like you know you look at someone like Coleman Hawkins. He can stretch the floor out pretty deep. Uh, he's had a couple games this year where. You know, he's knocked down multiple three-pointers. Uh, he did against Penn State, too, but they still lost. But I just think they put a lot of shooting on the floor. Shannon, to me, is like one of the fastest big wings you're ever going to see. It's 6'6". He just has absolutely elite speed. So I think they're they're a good team. They're maybe not as tough inside as you would like, ideally. And they don't have that traditional point guard, half-court organizer. But it's a team with a lot of talent and uh, you know, I think they have a ceiling to be able to win multiple games in the NCAA tournament for sure. We're talking with Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation. Ricky, I've been asking a lot of people this question this week, and I don't know that we've landed on a good answer yet, so I'm going to ask you as well. Who is the worst team that can win a national championship this year? <laughs> wow. The worst team that can win a national championship. i got to think about that one. You're putting me on the spot. But, you know, like, if I'm just looking at the Ken Palm rankings right now, this is going to feel like a cop-out answer. But right now, Kansas is 17 in the Ken Palm rankings. That's what DB said. DB said Kansas. Yeah, I I did say Kansas. They can absolutely win the national title. My thing with Kansas is it felt like they had four players the entire year when they were starting El Marco Jackson as their fifth starter. 
since they flipped to Australian freshman Johnny Furkey, it just feels like it's a little bit of a different team. Now, I know that they've almost been more uneven in those games. It feels like, you know, they win one, they lose one the entire season. Yeah. But to me, Furkey is exactly what they needed. He has great tools as a 6'9 wing, super long arms. He doesn't command the ball, and he just spaces the floor, knocks down threes, runs in transition, and is able to sort of like muck up the passing lanes with his length. So I'm dropping a mock draft at uh, SB Nation tomorrow. One of my hot takes is I got Percy as a lottery pick. I think in a bad draft, just someone who can like play off the ball with that length and shooting and play in transition could be really good. So I like what Kansas brings to the table. I do wonder like do they have a true like on ball initiator? It seems like, you know, they're not gonna create a lot of looks for themselves off the dribble. They're like heavily reliant on passing guys open so that does scare me a little but i still think they have a championship feeling despite you know sort of an uneven second half of the season at this point all right ricky you brought up your mock draft so i'm going to take that as an opening i'm going to i'm going to hop in here for a second because i love a mock draft uh you know i i I look at creighton and some of the guys that were looked at as potential nba prospects coming into the year trey alexander ryan kalkbrenner baylor shireman are you surprised at all at how much at least from what I've seen, how much Baylor Shireman has improved his NBA stock as an older, older guy. guy. Usually by the time you're in that fourth or fifth year, people have kind of made up their mind about you, but it seems like he's taken almost like a sophomore or junior year leap this past season. How do you kind of, I guess, where do you put him and how do you sort of, how do you process the fact that this is this dude who's obviously older, but he's gotten a lot better over the last 12 months? Yeah, he's really good, and he fits just into, you know, what you need to do to be an NBA role player, which is space the floor, be a quick knockdown shooting threat, and open up the middle of the floor for the stars. And really, like, as much as the mid-range game has come under fire in the NBA, it is the domain of the superstar. Yep. Shea Gilgis-Alexander scores in the mid-range. He doesn't, uh, even, ha- he doesn't even have a comp. Shea, like, I'm glad you used him. His game... It defies all basketball analytics. He is herky jerky, to it, put it lightly. It, He's it, just like it's unbelievable. We like to call yeah. that a funky game. His tempo and change of pace, like you can't even teach it in an instructional camp. Absolutely, yeah. And you know what makes it really hard to defend, especially when he's doing that with four shooters around him. So I think, like, you know, just coming back to Shireman, you know, it's just this era of the game now. You need shooting. Part of me, like, bums me out. Like, I do wonder, would Zach Randolph be able to play in this era? Would Mm. Tony Allen be able to play in this era? Guys who are really good, well-rounded, special players, but they just didn't have, like, the high-volume catch-and-shoot ability. And now you kind of need that to complement your stars. Anyways, that's a different tangent for a different day. <laughs> but Taylor Shireman can knock down a shot. He's got good size at 6'7". He seems much stronger now than he was before mm-hmm. uh, earlier in his career. So I think his all-around game has improved. And, uh, yeah, he'll have a chance to uh, earn his NBA shot for sure. Uh, Ricky, I, I, never, I hadn't felt comfortable in the last week having this conversation that surrounded Nebraska. I felt like and, – and I – think I can be pretty objective Uh, I I felt like they were in the tournament and I understood the talk about needing a road win in conference and is unprecedented nobody had ever done it and 
but I but I was trying to convince anybody that would listen. It has to be more about bad losses left on the schedule than it did a road win because there's no way I could sit with that committee this morning and say, yeah, you know what, Nebraska won in Bloomington last night. That was way more indicative that they belong in the field than, let's say, the close loss in Champaign. Was that getting ready to get kind of silly with the road loss thing, or was it more about the bad losses? I'm going to be totally honest. I don't have much analysis on this. Like, I think that Nebraska's probably a bubble team. I haven't totally dug into like what their metrics are compared to the rest of the field. But it's been nice to see my guy Fred Hoiberg, former Bulls coach, sort of turn that a little bit. Uh, over 500 in conference, so that's good to see, something you don't really see with Nebraska very often. In terms of their resume, I can't confidently speak to it, so I defer to you guys. But, uh, you know, that certainly was a blowout win in Indiana last night, and uh, it can't hurt. can't hurt beating Indiana on the road. Let me give you. A, let me ask you another one. Since you like you, you love the the draft and the mock draft, we got into a little bit of a debate the other day with, um, you know, Ashworth's defense on 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 Tristan Newton and and how UConn is built and and kind of shut not on Newton but shutting down Shram and we got into Castle and the comp and a lot of people have him as a lottery pick and we were just talking about kind of watching his game. I think one of the comps that we gave it was kind of Cam Whitmore from Nova. And admittedly, I didn't see it either, and he is playing better in the NBA, so maybe it's more my eye is just off. But do you see it with Castle and UConn? Yeah, I like Castle for sure, but I don't like him as much as Whitmore. Whitmore, I felt very confident, would be a stud. I had him as the top college player in last year's class, even over Brandon Miller uh, for the NBA draft. Castle, I've, I want to like him. I get a little lower on him the more I watch him, in part because he's just a reluctant shooter. Uh, but there's things to like about him. I mean, he's a tank of a guy. He's like a you know combo guard wing, 6'6", six, six, probably 225. He's such a force getting downhill, being able to visit, or finish at the basket. I think like he's going to be able to play physically in NBA level right away. But it's just tough when you're still such a reluctant shooter. Uh, and he did miss some time with the injuries this year. It does seem like he's gotten a little more comfortable shooting from deep as he's come back. But, uh, you know, still, like, our NBA team is going to guard him on the perimeter. And is he going to be able to beat them if they don't? I'm not sure about that question. I do like his all-around defensive versatility, though. To me, that's a guy who could guard one through three in the NBA. It's a guy who could get downhill and finish. So, if the jump shot comes around, I uh, I believe in him, but I think that, you know, he's not a great free throw shooter either. I think, you know, it's going to be a major work in progress for him to continue to build the jump shot. Speaking of which, tougher transition for a couple of player of the year candidates. One's the odds on favorite. The other is, is, you got is me? It, the other's in the top. Yeah, we got you. You there, Ricky? You there? Hello? You there, Ricky? Shane, did we drop him? I'll uh, I'll see if I can get him back. Okay. So we're gonna go Rick or Zach Eady. And uh, you're not. <clears throat> Who's the guy you like? R.J. Davis? No. I not that I like him. I was gonna ask him about Hunter Dickinson because oh, he's okay. starting to draw some ire now. He, of, yeah. Of of guys that kind of put up numbers but aren't really like there. impact winning. It's just weird how a lot of these players of the year like just transitioning to the NBA game is just hasn't been a thing. Drew well, Timmy. 
a lot of the players of the year are older guys, right? Usually the older guys are not in the NBA already for a reason, right? And so it makes sense to me to a certain extent. Um, And Edie's a really interesting one just because of his – his role in the NBA, like, I don't know what that looks like. Yeah. Can you win? Like, like, how many minutes a game does the Zach Eady get you in the NBA? Like, what role is he playing in the well, NBA? That's kind of how I feel about Hunter Dickinson. Yeah, that's fair. Eady, because of the way he looks, it's probably more prominent in terms of the questioning. Yeah. Right? Because Hunter Dickinson at least sort of kind of looks the part of an NBA player. I don't know. Just physically when he's out there, you don't think he does? <sighs> Number one, he's not going to be able to guard anybody. Well, that's – yes, sure. So I'm not sure you can play him. And offensively, he's not even Drew Timmy. No, And, and Timmy not. didn't get a sniff. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Do you know what I mean? No, like, I, I get it. So, so I'm just, I'm just kind of – I'm, I'm curious as soon as Shane uh, says that we got him back. Because we got him back. Ricky, you with us? Good. Welcome back, Ricky. Are you with us? Yep. Gotcha. Hey, so let me ask you something because I – and it's not necessarily about, you know, players of the year having ready-made NBA games, but why do you think, whether it's Edie or, or Hunter Dickinson or, or R.J. Davis, whomever the player – and I'm sure Edie's the odds-on favor. Why do you think it's such a tough transition for those college guys – um, as players of the year to make transitions to the NBA? Is it simply because players of the year are much older than, than you think NBA games are kind of what has it been? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say the skills it takes to be a role player are much different from the skills it takes to be a star at a lower level. So the guys who ultimately end up becoming NBA stars, normally they're identified so early in the process that they're not going to stick around to actually become a true star in college basketball. But a player like Zach Eadie, uh, you know, who the NBA didn't want enough to mm-hmm. get him in his first three years in school, like he kind of has, well, he's just such a unique case because of his size. We've never totally seen anyone like him. But, you know, he just is sort of built, to be a college superstar, whereas, like, in the NBA, he's probably playing, you know, under 20 minutes a game, and he is just carving out, like, a niche and a role if he can even stick in the league. And I think, like, we've seen that a lot over the years. I'm almost thinking back to, like, Russ Smith at Louisville, who yeah. was, like, so good mm. when he led Louisville to that national championship that they legally won. And, you know, in the NBA, it's like someone like Russ Smith, you know, they just have guys who are a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit better of shooters than him. And then he didn't really have the skill set to transition to a role player because he lacked the, you know, ideal size and length and he lacked the off-ball shooting. So I think that really it's just like a, a combination of how guys' roles change. They go up or down a level. And, you know, what you need to be a college star is not necessarily what you need to be an NBA role player. What would you do with Hunter Dickinson? Uh, I don't I don't have Hunter Dickinson uh, in this mock draft I'm doing. I think he's certainly going to make a lot of money playing basketball, and he probably already is at Kansas. <laughs> he's had a career. Uh, but, you know, to me, I think that, like, he could be attacked pretty easily in – sort of high ball screens in the open floor and we'll see how Kansas is able 
to fight against that if a team attacks them like that in March Madness. Obviously, they have another pretty good rim protector there in K.J. Adams, who's like a supplemental shot blocker. If you drag Dickinson away from the rim, first he has a lot of length, too, and can block some shots, so maybe they are sort of like insulating him. But I think, you know, Dickinson is another one of these guys who like has all this, the skill set and the talent to be a college superstar. But in the NBA, it's like you're not really asking what he can do as much as what he can't do just because he's going to be like sort of a a player in a smaller role. So great college player. I personally don't really see him as an NBA guy, but I think that, uh, you know, maybe that changes if Kansas does become the worst team to win the national championship this year. (laughs) Ricky, real quick, about 30 seconds here with you. Uh, NBA question, real quick. Do you buy the Minnesota Timberwolves as an actual title contender this year? I wouldn't pick them to win the title, but I would say they're a title contender for sure. Uh, I mean, it's going to come down to their half-court offense, right? Mm-hmm. You know the defense is going to be a lead. With Gobert healthier than last year, he's sort of been able to lead on the rim and elevate that team in a lot of different ways. But it just seems like so many of their losses follow the same pattern. As the offense just dies out in the half-court in the second half of games. So I wonder, you know, can they sustain that? It really comes down to Anthony Edwards sort of needing to go up almost like another level mm. from what he's shown thus far. Certainly, he's had an incredible season, averaging 26 points a game. His shooting percentages are all really good. He's still only 22 years old, though. And I think, like, from what we've seen from Carl Towns in the playoffs to this point in his career, you can't really expect Towns to carry the offense for long stretches against top competition in the postseason. That's going to be Anthony Edwards' job. And I think the Timberwolves are going to go as far as he can take them offensively. Kind of tough. You know, this will be his second playoff run, I think, after last year's first-round series against the Nuggets. It's tough to expect him to, like, you know, drag the team to the NBA Finals. But I think they're going to have a chance. I think the pieces fit really well in Minnesota, and that's why they're so good. You know, I can't wait to see them in some games that really count in the postseason. It's Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation. Ricky, we appreciate your time. We'll catch up again soon. Thanks.